Good morning, Wellspring Ohana. Good to see you all this morning. Today, we are continuing our series through the book of Galatians. And this message, as you may have noticed from your bulletin, is called A New Kind of Family. A New Kind of Family. And speaking of the word family, have you ever noticed how many TV shows not only are about families, but have the word family in the title of them? There's something about watching another family work out their issues that is fun or soothing or comforting to see that they have challenges. They might be fictitious, but their problems put ours in perspective. And families are interesting. Families are spicy. Families are unpredictable. And all of us can relate to the experience, whether good, bad, or ugly, of being in a family regardless of whether our family looks like a family on TV or not. There's something about the drama or the humor that resonates with us. There's something about the struggle or the conflict, the challenges that we can connect to. And so just for some Sunday morning fun, I thought it would be a little activity for us to do to see how many of these uh, shows with family in the title you are familiar with. And it's okay if uh, you're like me and you didn't grow up in the U.S. for most of your childhood. That's okay. Pastor Rebecca also can relate to this. I actually haven't seen like all of these shows, but um, let's just take our little quiz and see how it goes. It's just for fun. Okay, so the first one, we're going to start with some that go from the, from the current time backwards. So this is Family Guy. Okay, so family in the title. How about this one? Okay, so pretty recent, although it, it did end. So now we're going to go back historically a little bit to the 90s. Family Matters. Some of you were around in the 90s. Uh, let's go back to the 80s. Family Ties. Family Ties. Yes, Family Ties. How about this one, Before My Time? This was the 70s. All in the Family. It's just like a word that gets used over and over in, in TV show titles. And then, the 60s. Who knows this one? Family Affair, good job, Keith. You win the prize. Excellent, excellent. Well, if the book of Galatians was a TV show, my personal pastoral opinion is that it would be called Family Feud. <laughs> because in the book of Galatians, we have a conflict within the family of faith about who belongs? Whose family is this? And Galatians, you know, has been described as a, a tricky book, which I understand. Uh, we're right in the middle of our series, so we're going to be right in the middle of Galatians. It's a six-chapter book, so we're in the end of chapter three, right in the middle. And it's okay if you find it a little bit tricky. Um, one thing that's been helpful for me is using a summary that the Bible Project uses, which is just a, a one-word, I'm sorry, a one-sentence summary, but before that, oh yes, I forgot to mention, why is there a family feud? Well, these symbols that our friends at the Bible Project have come up with are three 
um, aspects of what their conflict was about. And so, first on the left, we have the knife. And the knife represents circumcision. Ouch. But you can remember they had a conflict over that. In the middle, we have the no pork symbol. Kosher food restrictions and laws, that was an issue as well for this family food, family feud over food. And then finally, we have the calendar with the number seven because it's about the Sabbath, another practice. So essentially, the issue of being Jewish enough could be encapsulated in these three symbols, the, the knife, the pig, and the calendar, referring to circumcision, uh, kosher, and Sabbath. So if you're wondering what was the feud about, how many of you have had feuds in your family about any of these three things? Circumcision, pork, or Sabbath? Yeah, probably not. So it's hard for us in the 20th century to relate to this. Why was this even a feud, right? But in order to understand the original context before we get to what it means for us today, it's important to understand this was the issue. These were the concerns. This was what the feud was about. And now we will go to um, that nifty little sentence that our friends at the Bible Project have uh, come up with that also, I think, helps to summarize All right, let's see if I can find it here. Jeannie, do we have it? Okay, there we go. Galatians in one sentence. The gospel of the crucified Messiah creates a new multi-ethnic family that is transformed by the Spirit. So, that can be a way of remembering the big picture before we zoom in in chapter 3. That's what Galatians is about. And each of these terms is very... Uh, thick with theological freight, if you will. And so, um, in our series before today, we've looked at what does it mean to have this crucified Messiah and the gospel of the crucified Messiah. We heard about that uh, from Pastor Yumiko. We heard about that from David on our preaching team. And now we're going to be more in that middle section of the sentence there, which is all about this new multi-ethnic family. And that's really what we're focusing on today. Why is it new? Why is it multi-ethnic? And why is it all about family? And then as the series continues, we're going to be talking about being transformed by the Spirit. And that's where the uh, book of Galatians heads toward as it, as it concludes. And by the time we finish Galatians, did you know it's going to be Advent? It's almost Advent already. It's just hard for me to wrap my brain around that. So this is kind of our, our last series where we can really dig into a specific book of Scripture before all Advent breaks loose. <laughs> um, so one thing to notice um, in our passage today, we are looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. And I think it would be fun for the benefit of our uh, listeners who are hearing the recording, um, to just read it through, because they might not have it visually in front of them, like you do in your bulletin or the screen. And so, when I say ready, begin, we are all going to, whoever wishes to, read along out loud with me, Galatians three twenty-six to 29. Are you ready? Okay, let's begin. For you are all children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. 
And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, to break this down a little bit, why don't we just look at the first and the last verse, because they have to do with this idea of family. So let's say we were just going to look at verse 26 and verse 29 together, because they go really well together. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now notice something about this. There is a family theme going on. It's talking about being children, being in a family where God is our heavenly parent, and we are in this family where we become children of God because of Christ. And not only that, we are the true children of Abraham and the heirs of all that that means from Abraham through Jesus to us. Paul is speaking to Gentiles right now in these verses. He is saying, you might not be Jewish, you might not practice kosher, circumcision, Sabbath in the same way that we um, Jews like Jesus have done because that's our culture. You might have a different language, a different ethnicity, but you are part of this family now because of what Jesus has done. Because you belong to Christ, you are actually full-fledged members who get the inheritance, who are part of receiving all that the family passes down. See that? So there's this important theme for us, which is number one in our outline of family. And that is, number one, in Christ, all believers in Jesus belong at the same table. We are one family. And it's important for Paul to stress that there was one family initially. That's a huge part of the Old Testament, that there's this one family, Abraham and Sarah, and God works through them one way or another, through their descendants, one of whom eventually is Jesus. But... In the New Testament now, things are opening up beyond just the Jewish nation. The people of God, the understanding of who is God's family is a growing circle. And so now, Paul is telling these folks in the family feud, actually, you're feuding, yes, and there's some real issues at stake there that matter because we're talking about centuries of history and tradition that you can't just undo. And besides, we're not telling Jewish people to stop being Jewish. We're saying that the circle is growing and the table is welcome for you to come. Because we're all one family now because of Christ. So some of you know, um, if you talk to me for any length of time about, I don't know, casual non-church topics, um, I like sports. And I like all kinds of different sports. 
I like baseball. I like football. I like soccer. I like tennis. I like hockey sometimes. But most of all, my favorite sport to watch and to play, I believe my son is watching this somewhere on a screen. <laughs> I've passed this down to my son. We both love basketball. Basketball is number one in our house, even though there's many other things that we watch and play. I run, I play pickleball. But at the end of the day, if there was just one I could take with me, it would be, it would be basketball. And I like all kinds of basketball, not just what's on TV. It can be something, you know, that they play in the Philippines or in some other time zone. I keep track sometimes just to see how these different basketball leagues in the world are, are working. And so, when InterVarsity had a staff conference in May that took place in Seattle, I was like, okay, uh, we know there's no Seattle Sonics. Is, is there a Seattle Storm game happening that weekend? And lo and behold, there was. And it was uh, the Seattle Storm hosting the LA Sparks. And so, I found a way to get some coworkers to attend this game with me, which for me was my very first uh, WNBA game in person. And so this is a, the photo. It's a little it's a little blurry, but I was taking pictures of everything. And um, on the right side there, you can kind of see this the scoreboard. It was down to the wire in the final few seconds. This actually ended up being the final score. Seattle won by three, and um, it's it cemented my status as a, a fan of the Seattle Storm. Don't like any of the other Seattle teams really, but this but the Storm are like my favorite now. Um, it, was, it was an awesome game. It was an awesome environment. And I even have, if you look really closely, uh, on the left side, you can see a little silhouette behind me of Sue Bird, the legendary Sue Bird, who's, who's now retired. But I got to see her play before, before she retired. So at this game, we're cheering, we're screaming, it's exciting. And I, I love the NBA, of course, and I love the WNBA. I love, I love basketball. Um, but they are different. And when you read about this, you will be reminded of all, all the differences. Uh, most of the time you read about the WNBA, it's being compared in, to the NBA in some way, even though it's very different history, very different resources, very different amount of media attention. Um, the WNBA just made 25 years, I think, which is like super long for a women's professional sports league to last that long. And yet, despite all that success and the fact that they just had one of their most popular seasons ever, there's still the scrutiny that comes, well, how come you can't be like the NBA? How come there's not as many dunks? How come there's not as many fans and celebrities whose names we know? And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the best answers I've heard to that question have something to do with, you know what, it's actually different. It's a different game. The strategy is different. It's not just that the gender of the players are different or that you know, their first names are different or that they're not as tall. It's like a different style of play. And so the more I watch, the more I realize this is actually important to kind of respect the game for men and women differently and to, to try to put them all together sometimes does, does harm um, to expect oh, well, we're just going to measure against, you know, this cream of the crop percent of a percent of all the men's basketball in the world, which is, you know, leagues and leagues all over the place. There's, you know, so many more male professional leagues than women around the world. And to try to, 
you know, say that the WNBA should, should be like that right now is, is kind of apples and oranges, I think. At least that's my, that's my personal, personal opinion. But this does have something to do with the sermon. And it has to do with the male and female comparisons that are made. And one of the questions that comes up sometimes online and on sports talk shows is, well, not enough people are watching the WNBA, so I know what we could do so that there'll be more dunks. Let's lower the rim six inches, or maybe, maybe even a foot, make it like a nine-foot rim instead of a ten-foot rim. And it's usually men that have this idea. And it sounds okay at first, like, okay, yeah, maybe there'll be more dunks and there'll be more fans and then there'll be, there'll be more ticket sales because you know, we just want to watch the jumping and the dunking. And this, this has come up several times in, in different um, sports shows. And the answer, usually when you talk to the players, they, they don't all agree on this, but a lot of the players in the w, WNBA will say, well, actually, um, one of them said, you know what, we're, we're constantly being compared to men, we're constantly being compared to the, the NBA, um, and yet our whole lives we have played and practiced and achieved the pinnacle of our sport on a 10-foot rim. And so now, because you're trying to help us, um, you want to, to lower the rim so that we can still be compared and most likely possibly still criticized. And so despite all the achievements and how far this sport has come, there's still this urge to, well, let's just smush it together, and maybe if it's more like the men's game, it'll, be, it'll have more fans, even though it's, there's way more factors involved um, in the economics of that. And I believe that as Christians, it's important for us to recognize there's some truth here, and that there's something unhealthy about trying to measure women's success in terms of men, in terms of speaking of, of women's advancement, in terms of how, how masculine can they be, that's when they've achieved success. You know, if we just have enough uh, women pastors who can preach like men, or if we just have enough women theologians that can do theology like the men do, you know, there's some serious problems with that. But I actually think that when we look at Scripture, lo and behold, we find that going back to creation, male and female are made in the image of God. And there's something really unique about this particular Galatians passage that I'm going to show you that I think is a fascinating um, way of reframing this. So this gets to our, our second point, which is that in Christ, our differences aren't smushed. <laughs> they aren't smushed into uniformity. Our unity includes a wider circle around Jesus. I, cre I credit Pastor Rebecca with the word smushed in there. I was like, we need a better word. And she said, smushed is the, is the word. And I agree, it is the word. It's, it's way better than what I had before. Because we understand what smushing is. <laughs> um, and when we look at this passage, which is often um, quoted, there is no longer a Jew or or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I noticed something for the first time this week, and that is, thanks to some commentaries by smart people, there's two ors followed by an and in the original language. And so, why does, why does that matter? 
Why aren't there three ors? Why isn't it Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female? Why, why is it and? Paul, Paul joins these first two pairs with or, but the third pair, male and female, are not or, they're and, for some strange reason. Because in, in that language, the usual wording would have actually been different than the Greek terms that Paul uses here. Paul goes out of his way to, to use the precise terminology that is a direct quote from the creation narrative in Genesis 1.27. Male and female, God created them in God's image. It wasn't that the female was in the man's image and the man was in God's image. Like No, there was God, the creator, and both male and female, are in God's image. And so Paul, most commentators think, is intentionally quoting Genesis there and alluding to it in the form of an exact quote to make a point about how there are certain things that we don't need to smush, (laughs) for lack of a better word. Um... We don't need to ask, what if women pastors were more like men pastors? Um, Because that's the difference between unity and uniformity. See, as a pastor team here at Wellspring, we have have men and women. But we don't want to just be uniform all the same, which is kind of hard to imagine that could ever be the case anyways. But it's not what we aspire to. We aspire for unity. We aspire to be around the table, and I am... You know, no matter how I try, I'm not going to stop being male when I speak and think and show up at the meeting. And pretty sure my amazing partner, Pastor Rebecca, will bring herself as well to how she ministers and how God has gifted and created her. And so it's, it's more about drawing the circle larger than making each of us into some smushed version that is all the same, like, well, let's just, you know, put all the basketball players together. And we lose the beauty of how the women's game is different than the men's sport. Does that make sense? Even in the Old Testament, we see God saying that God will pour out my spirit on all people, God says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So there's age diversity there. And I will pour out my spirit even on servants. The top and the bottom of the socioeconomic chain. Men and women alike. So Paul isn't inventing something new here. And uh, the prophet Joel neither... Was, was inventing something new. This goes back to the original creation before there was any sin, before anything went wrong, before there was any evil or killing. Men and women were there together, mutual partners in God's image. It was after things got twisted by sin and death and evil that we started to get this hierarchy. That was when it started to become, okay, Men run the show, and if you want to, you know, impact women of the world, then you have to, like, go through men to do it because they're the, they're the top of the food chain. That, that came after the fall, not before, and that's important to know. Finally, our last point, now that we've talked a little bit about uniformity, unity, family, what does this have to do with us? 
What does this have to do with us? The questions we're asking today in the church are different than what was being asked in Paul's day. And in Paul's day, they were asking questions about who will truly inherit this whole people of God thing that we really want to belong to. And we still care about that question now, but I think we're also wondering about other things like, does being a Christian make you better or worse? Is Christianity good for the world or is it making the world worse? And is there a way to just follow Jesus without getting all this church baggage? People are wondering, right, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's why we have this point, number three. In Christ, we join God in the renewal of all things, and we get to be part of the good news here and now. Here and now. And this comes from the middle of the passage, verse 27. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the example. As we live and breathe and treat one another the way Jesus treated people, then that's how the good news is proclaimed. It's proclaimed with our words. It's proclaimed with our deeds. And that's how God renews things. Jesus said, I'm making all things new. And that's how it happens, through, through you and me. And it's hard because sometimes I want to repair what people think of the church, or I want to help people have less barriers to experiencing faith. And yet I also want to take seriously the real baggage that people have and negative experiences they have had as well. And so I don't want to do the disservice of saying, okay, well, don't worry about what the church has done. Just look at Jesus. Well, what the church has done matters and how we follow Jesus matters. And so we are at our best as the family of God when we are part of the renewal of all things. By the way, the family of God before us wasn't like amazing either. <laughs> um, we aren't the first generation to kind of to mess things up and, and not live out the best of what God calls us to do. Um, so we, we joined the club there of needing a savior. We joined the club of needing redemption and rescue. But as we receive that, as we join and are part of God's good news, then it can spread. We can declare that things are different now. We don't have to go back to the old way before. We don't have to turn back the clock on what it used to be like before Jesus won the victory as the crucified Messiah. Because Jesus has done that, Everything is different. The table is open. And what matters is your connection to Jesus. These other practices, like David preached about the other week, they, they're important. Reading scripture, prayer, going to a small group, you know, these aren't bad things. But what matters is following the crucified Messiah. And then those other things come into place. Those, those other things are not to be the, the barriers at the gate of who gets to be in the circle or not. Oh, study your Bible first, and then you can be part of the family. Oh, make sure your prayer life is in order, and then, and then we'll see you at church. No. Jesus is the center of why we're here. And Christian formation is rooted in this, this declaration that there is a new creation coming into the old, little bit by little bit. It's already here, but it's also not yet. It's both. 
part of it's already here. Jesus is here. We have the, um, the communion table. We have the Holy Spirit. We have way more books of the Bible than they used to. So we have all these resources and translations and commentaries and videos and really cool skits and puppets. We have all these cool things. But there's also part of it that's not, not yet, where we're still waiting. And that's where we're looking forward to. How do we proclaim that good news until, until Jesus returns? And that's the part that's kind of up to you, you know? I don't know necessarily in each of your lives, in each of your workplaces or your, you know, biological families, what does good news look like there? Maybe good news could be being a listening ear. Maybe it could be picking up the slack for someone who, you know, is asking for help. It could be saying more about your background in a space that maybe folks haven't heard as much about why you do what you do. I want to end with something on the front cover of your bulletin. (laughs) We've had this here for a while, but it's been a while since we've talked about it. But you'll notice every week we've got this vision statement here, mending, equipping, and releasing disciples of Jesus who are beloved in Christ, becoming like Christ, and building with Christ. So there's a lot in there, and we're not going to go through all of that. But I just want to highlight the in Christ's or actually the three, the three parts of that. In Christ, like Christ, and with Christ. In Christ, like Christ, and with Christ. All three of those are in there. And out of the three, I would say that in Christ is probably the hardest one to wrap my mind around. I don't know about you. The other two are a little bit more tangible, you know? We can imagine Jesus as a human being, and we can see, you know, what would he do in certain situations because we have these stories about him. So to be like Christ is within reach of what we can visualize. To be with Christ as well, I would say, is a little bit more tangible because we pray and we, you know, ask, what does Jesus think? And we talk to God and there's a conversation, there's a relationship that we build with Jesus over time. So with Christ and like Christ, I feel like there's a little bit more of a handle there. But what about this in Christ That could mean anything. In Christ. Oh my goodness. Two letters. In. What? In what? In Christ how? Well, the good news, friends, is that today was your unofficial In Christ sermon. (laughs) You just heard it. It's basically over now. But you just heard the, 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 uh, the version of the day or of the year or whatever it is, so that if you are wondering about what it is to be in Christ, you can go back to this message and say, well, it's about family. It's about being at the table. That's what it means to be in Christ. It's about unity. It's about focusing on what we have in common while also respecting the reality of differences that are healthy and good. Um, although there are barriers that come with those that need to be broken down. But you know what I mean. There's nuance there. Unity with diversity. We are in the body of Christ. We are in the family of faith. And finally, to be in Christ is all about joining God in the renewal of all things. Joining God in what the Spirit is doing now. Whatever the good news is now, that's what it means to be in Christ. And as we are more and more in Christ, we will be 
more and more like Christ. If we're not becoming more like Christ, we probably have a little bit of work to do on the in. <laughs> but as we do this together, it's not a solo journey. It's together we are in Christ. Together we are becoming like Christ. Together we are walking with Christ. That is the journey. And that's Galatians in a nutshell for today. Amen? <laughs> okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are at the center of it all. You are the one that makes it possible as the Messiah or King, the one who defeated sin and death and evil and violence, not by forcing yourself victorious, but by surrendering in a crucified way, in a way that showed God's heart. And Lord, we want to be in that family that you have started. We want to be like you and with you in how we journey together. Help us to recognize when the table needs to be bigger, still with you at the center, but with different descriptions of what it means to be part of the family. Help us, Lord. In your name we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.